Cross the Streams Podcast. Cross the Streams Podcast. Kip and Kane. Season 4 is here. New content in all our favorite segments like Listen Up, Hometown Heroes, Useless Full Information, Calling Men In, and many more. The Ion Brothers are back, everybody. Cross the Streams podcast, Kip and Kane I own, calling men in segment, and typically this segment for us has our usual contributors, Carly Rohner and Jeff Matsushita, but I wanted to switch things up uh, this week for the calling men in segment, and, and my impetus and motivation for it came from, I've been doing a lot of work with my coaches staff from basketball this week a lot of recruiting stuff we're wrapping up our class and i got to thinking you know as coaches we're very dependent on our staff for film for recruiting for everything but then i got to thinking for me and our teams of men program there's a person on campus that we couldn't do our work nearly to the level and have the success we've had without this person so i started thinking about andrea who i'm bringing on here today uh to talk with you guys and she obviously knows carly knows jeff her and i have connected on a bunch of things, but I wanted to give her her own segment to brag about herself because she does a lot of awesome things behind the scenes for us and a lot of things up front, forward-facing for the university. So, Andrea, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Kip. Thanks for having me. And would you say your full name, because I don't want to butcher it, and we talked about it before we got online, so everyone, when they do Google you, will get it freaking right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my name is Andrea Doyle-Hugmeyer. And how many years now at Willamette for you? I am, let's see, I think I started two and a half years ago. And your official so. title is, and this is a mouthful, everybody out there, and I, you wear about 75 different hats that I want to give you plenty of time to talk about, but your official title is Director of the Gender Resource and Advocacy Center and Confidential Advocate, yes? Yes, and yes. Bef- And I want to give you plenty of time to explain all the things you do, but first of all, it would be ridiculous in the middle of a global pandemic to not ask how are you and your family, how are you guys handling this? I started off the podcast in like March saying, how are you doing? And it's impossible to say good during a pandemic, right? So how are you guys coping? How are you dealing? Yeah, I think you're... Spot on there. It's hard to just give a one-word answer um, during this time, but we're we're doing all right. We're hanging in there. I think um, in many ways we're just really uh, privileged to have one another. And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times I thought, wow, uh, you know, certainly there are obstacles and challenges and a whole lot of exhaustion that comes with big families, but we've got four kiddos, and I think during this time of isolation, um, we're definitely not feeling alone, Mm. Um, so I'm really grateful just to have one another and kind of focusing on that uh, family time that is clearly happening a lot Right. right now. For you and your partner, and my wife and I have been dealing with, like, what is, what's been the biggest struggle during this time? I know know we want to focus later on the positives, but for us, it's my youngest is almost eight, and his best friend is like two houses down. Phenomenal (sighs) family, but we really don't want him playing together. But if he gets on that scooter, he's going to go knock on Kinsley's door. If there's not much we can do about it, what about for you guys? Right. No, that's definitely been a challenge because we've got lots of kiddos in our neighborhood. So kind of keeping them in their own little bubble has been really hard. (laughs) Um, I would say, I mean, on the same note of that, our youngest is four. He actually had, you know, a a COVID birthday here in April. So we had a little front yard celebration for him. But I would 
would say the biggest challenge has been um, kind of a ongoing interaction or need to do all the pretend play that gotcha. a four-year-old yeah. really needs and and we're just challenged by that because yeah. developmentally right like yeah. we are not there yeah. and to sustain that play for him is just it's so hard we so, have pl- i think i've worn many masks as a turtle as a <laughs> yeah. astronaut no i'm with you and it's yes i try to be in uh, it but it's so difficult to really exist there I'm trying to find an out half the time. Like, oh, the bad guy went outside. Maybe your brother right. could. <laughs> yeah, a lot of pretend play going on. That for me is a little bit mind numbing after so much of it. That's so good. that's been my challenge and why um, I think I've always enjoyed the outlet of doing my professional work. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, that's that's been a really big challenge too, is just having to navigate the responsibilities of your paid labor mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. all of your domestic unpaid labor right. that is very much um, ex- you know, intensified right now. Have you found any unintentional or underrated like highlights that you will look back on like, oh, that was actually pretty cool during the craziness that is COVID-19? I think for me, I never was a walker. Like I, the family would say, let's go for a walk. And now I actually really do enjoy them, even if it's with it's everybody and they're crossing the streets. But I actually kind of look forward to those. What about for you? Yeah, I mean, on a similar note, we um, have been doing a lot of family bike rides. Mm. And, you know, we live in a pretty hilly area. So we haven't done a whole lot of bike riding in the past because it just feels like, you know, such a huge time consumption to like load all the bikes up on the rack and, you know, head to somewhere where there are paths. But we've actually been doing that more and more uh, just because we do have the time. Right. And it's been a lovely family experience. Good. Excellent. Well, let's segue. You mentioned the paid labor. Um, yeah. I think when, when we list out all the things that you do, it's I don't think people necessarily have a, a strong background in a gender resource advocate or a confidential advocate. Or t- so how, I mean, when you say college campus, a lot of people think of, you know, provosts and other, no- like not normal is the wrong word, but the typical forward facing jobs. So explain what, what, you know, what do you think? How's the best way to explain everything you do? Because I know just having worked with you, how many areas you touch and have a hand in. How do you explain to people when you tell them what you do? Hmm. Well, See, that's a great question. So, um, you know, I talk about, you know, my role, you know, within higher education, right? Like, I'm one of many administrators on campus. Um, So, I think we're, you know, tasked with um, offering support services to students in a variety of different ways. Um, For a director of any sort of gender resource center or an advocacy center, um, I see my work as trying to build community and um, activism and just safe space to talk about issues concerning gender justice and Mm. sexuality justice Um, and you know issues of sexual violence of course are rooted in um, those forms of oppression in a variety of different ways so I think the advocacy piece fits in really well um, to you know a center that's kind of focused on um, achieving gender equality and Mm. um, supporting students who have you know variety of different gender and sexual identities. I, I, I like how you put that. Before I let you dive into the specifics of your day-to-day and goals and current projects, 
How did you find yourself getting into this? Is this just is it as simple as Kip? I have a high level of give a damn, and I always, you know what I mean, and I always have. There, there is a little of that. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I think I've always been just fiercely committed to justice mm. and you know fairness. I suppose even as a kid, my mom talks about that excessively. <laughs> um, you know, making sure you know people were following rules and. Um, you know, things were equal across the board with my siblings. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, as I as I grew up, um, I experienced, you know, we have life experiences mm-hmm. that really change us. And one thing that was really pivotal for me was just getting pregnant at a young age. So I was 18 and pregnant with my oldest daughter now. Um, and um, that just really rocked my world um it put me in a position where I was the recipient of a lot of shame Mm. and um kind of internalized um I guess internalized shame in in many ways um but had a very supportive family around me and was still able to like pursue and accomplish a lot of the goals that I had intended on for my young adult life Mm -hmm. um so at you know a certain point in time I um returned to college after having my two girls I was a single mom and I took a an intro to sociology class and you know if you've taken sociology classes which I feel like were you a social major I I took a couple I took a couple yeah okay okay so I was a social major from undergrad uh but we got to that one week where you talk about gender and I, my world was like blown open there mm. because I had no idea people actually study this stuff. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this is so fascinating. And, you know, I'd go to my professor's office hours and we chatted up and finally he's like, you know, you probably should take a women's studies class. Like you're really, you're really jazzed about this material. Mm-hmm. So I took a, a women's studies class um, and I remember getting to the week on violence against women and the power and control wheel was put up like on this, you know, huge PowerPoint screen because I went to a big state school. Shout out to OSU. There you go, go, go Beefs. Beefs. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta work that in there. Yep. Um, so, you know, a huge lecture hall. There's probably like 120 students in my class. And I saw the power and control wheel. And this was a moment like I, I just will never forget. I felt so completely validated and seen in such a different way by reading the specifics in that power and control wheel. And I remember walking out of that class like you know down the hall and you step out of the building and it's like the clouds parted and yeah. sun was like shining a true and aha like, moment yeah, for you it really was yeah. and I was like this is amazing like yeah. I feel you know like completely liberated um and I knew at that point I, I was like all right I I have to do this I have yeah. to somehow create this transformative experience for other people um I should not have waited or gone until I was, you know, 23, 24 years old to have seen something like this. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, at the time I thought, well, I should be a professor, right? Like, yeah. naturally, when you're in college, you think that's, like, the only way to do this work. Um, and I pursued my master's degree just immediately after I finished my bachelor's and stayed at OSU for that. What was that in? Um, It was in women, well, okay, technically it was in interdisciplinary studies, Okay, but we were kind of the, we were the year before their 
uh, women and gender studies master's program was um i don't know like certified or something or, yeah. yeah so like accredited or uh, yeah so um we essentially like the only way you could really get like a wgs master's degree at osu was to do this interdisciplinary studies program um so my emphasis um was WGS and sociology, and I did research on just feminist pedagogy, and at the time, we were exploring online education, so I was really fascinated by the ability to have that liberatory experience, like, in an online classroom, Uh, but with the um, graduate program, I was given a teaching assistantship, so I kind of helped with all those intro classes my first year, and then my second year, I was given the opportunity to teach independently, okay. and they even gave me the option to create my own elective course, and that was, um, you know, like, such an honor and yeah. so exciting, and I, um, built the curriculum around just body politics and using the reproductive justice framework to understand um, motherhood and mothering and whatnot. So it was in that class, you know, I had maybe like 20 students enrolled. Um, I had my first experience um, where a student, you know, just out of the blue, I got an email and the only line in the email was, I need help. And it was from one of my students, and so I, you know, my heart starts beating. I'm like, I, I don't even know what this means. Like, yeah, you need help with yeah. a test? You need, like, are you in a situation right now? Do I need to call the police? Um, so, you know, I replied, and I'm just sitting there, you know, counting the seconds, yeah. you know, trying to refresh. And, yeah, the student went on to, um, you know, just talk about, um, a, like, interpersonal violence situation they were in, and um, it was... It was you know, something that I hadn't anticipated mm-hmm. being an instructor, and it was also nothing that had come across any of our like training um, preparation for mm-hmm. this role. Right, yeah. So that's when I went to our chair of the department, and I just said, hey, like we, we need to know what to do about this. Yeah. Uh, like, we can teach, you know, so much and, you know, have our students write essays about, you know, this issue, but how do we actually respond? Yeah, we theory versus the that. practical, the real world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that for me was just a really eye-opening experience. And um, I started looking into, you know, issues around Title IX. And that's really around the time where, um, like, the Dear Colleague letter came out under the Obama administration and, you know, colleges, universities across the country were really shifting their focus to supporting student survivors. So, um, you know, I had taught, I started getting some um, kind of experience as in advocacy training and, um, you know, quickly, (laughs) to be really honest, got burnt out with the teaching load that I was Mm -hmm. carrying. so was it on like the administrative program. side of the teaching, like these grading, mm-hmm. these papers? Was it was it more about that? Was it more about just the um, because you had found the real world part of this thing? As you're talking, 
there's so many similarities to coaching and you're obviously doing much more important work in your discussion than basketball but there's so much there to like you, you study for offense and you study for the yeah. parts that happen on the floor and then you realize that's like five percent of what you do the rest of it is humans and managing and dealing yeah, right. and talking with humans so as you're talking it just really resonates with me the parts that i thought were going to be important that ended up being not so much yeah yeah definitely i think that's yeah very appropriate to say and I guess like I skipped over a piece so you know going through that year my second year of graduate school you know wrapped up the class was you know trying to support students in this role while completing my master's thesis while also having you know two children at home Uh, it was a lot to carry um, but I still was really invested in the work and um, was offered a position to stay on as adjunct faculty for the following year so um, that was that was a time that I guess really was the the burnout period, okay, and you. I'm so I'm so grateful for that experience, and um, to this day rely on you know hundreds of different kind of responses and skills that I was able to develop. But you know, dang, that was that was some hard hard work. Because yeah. Um, yeah, as adjunct faculty and just a brand new feminist educator, right? There's a lot of there's just there are a lot of things you go in wanting to do and accomplish and then you know the realities hit you of like oh right like I assigned this assignment of like three page three to five page essays oh yeah I have 80 students how much is that going to be to grade right right (laughs) oops maybe I shouldn't have done that (laughs) um so just you know that piece I was teaching you know like four classes a term. Um, I had my own graduate teaching assistants that I was, you know, to be mentoring and teaching them um, just about the nuts and bolts of, all right, we're going to put the syllabus together. Here's how you enter a grade. We need to track participation, you know, et cetera. So yeah, I, I, um, within that year kind of got to this place of, well, okay, I might need to be thinking of some other options. Um, and I ended up um, leaving that position and working for a private research firm up in Portland for a little while and you know I kind of joke that I went from like one end of the spectrum to the other where I was just in a room doing you know one-on-one participant interviews and you know inputting things into an excel document (laughs) very isolating work but nonetheless important um so, yeah, it was a few months after that where I decided, no, 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 like, I, I so miss being on a college campus and, you know, being in a space where people are growing and learning and you have that community around you that's committed to similar issues. Mm-hmm. So that's when I went kind of back into higher ed. Um, I took on the, I actually worked at Willamette uh, my first time around in the admissions department. Um, so that was a fascinating was, experience. Yeah, that's a little, I mean, it's on the campus, but it's a different, it's a yeah. different, it's a different deal entirely, right? It's so different. Yeah. <laughs> again, again, I'm so grateful for that experience and the lens, you know, I can now, um, see through, um, in such a different way because I hadn't worked as an administrator at that point. Yeah. Um, and, and f- like seeing the pressures that an admissions office goes through, um, you know, around budgets and um, diversifying a class and, you know, speaking with families. And yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, It also had a lot of traveling involved, which again, as a mom was really difficult to do. Right. 
So once again, I um, was just kind of looking for something that felt a little bit more fitting. And um, at the time, my partner, who's in the military, um, was actually getting ready for deployment in Afghanistan. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So um, the idea of staying in admissions, continuing the traveling was something that you know didn't really appeal to our family anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I was lucky enough to you know, see an opening at Western Oregon University uh, for a position in their women's center. Um, and part of that role, in addition to kind of the educational programming and the kind of advising of the resources in the center, um, was to also do the confidential advocacy. So I, um, you know, obviously got that position and worked there for almost three years. Um, and we had a Campus Against Sexual Assault grant within that program through um, the Violence Against Women Act, or I guess through the, mixing that up a little bit, but through the Department of Justice, mm-hmm. um, the federal um, offices. So that was, again, a really great experience for what, you know, uh, procuring a grant looks like yeah. and the administration of that. Um, so, you know, you kind of have these experiences and, they all kind of lead you to the path where you end up being. You yeah, know, grow your toolkit, so to speak. It sounds yeah. like from all these stops, you're grabbing some piece and it's coming <laughs> exactly. with you, right? Exactly. Um, so I was there for a while and, uh, you know, kind of got to that place again where we we spent a lot of time building capacity in that program. Um, at because it was grant funded and it had been grant funded for, I think, I want to say like five years once I got there um, already. And we were looking at like another three year grant cycle after that. Um, our mission was to um, figure out how to kind of integrate into the Division of Student Affairs mm-hmm. and create a fully funded um, you know, director position through the university. So, you know, even looking back and just thinking about this, uh, just in preparation for our talk today, I think in many ways I did a lot of foundation building in some of the roles that I was in. Um, and I feel like that has um, reflect, been reflected in my work mm-hmm. as a director of our Gender Resource and Advocacy Center, too. Um, so, yeah, over at Western... Um, almost there for three years and then I had my fourth baby well Troy who's my four-year-old I was talking about earlier um he was born and you know just having four kids and you know my partner being in the military and he had been like going on uh, these different training trips every once in a while so we just took that as an opportunity for me to kind of do a slow exit after maternity leave and just take some time to focus on what it meant to, you know, manage a family right, of right. our size. Um, so took about, it was like 18 months, I suppose. Um, and that's when 
I got, you know, a little Facebook message from Curly, our buddy <laughs> yep. Curly, yep. Uh, to just say, hey, um, you know, I'm taking on a different job, and there's going to be this opening at Willamette. I know that you know, you're not, you haven't been working for a little while outside the home, but um, how do you feel about maybe doing this part-time? I know you're trained, um, you know, you'd fit right in. So I followed up with that, and I was like, yeah, you know, why not? Why not, like, kind of put one foot back in the door? Um and, you know, to be honest, staying home full time, oh man, yeah. so hard. <laughs> uh-huh. Which is like quarantine time, right? <laughs> it kept you for this, didn't it? Oh my it really God. did. It's so funny. I've talked to, yeah, I've talked to Travis and my husband about that a, a few times now. I'm like, remember how, like, that wasn't a good time for me? <laughs> remember how depressed I got? <laughs> Uh, with you. Well, that's a perfect segue as you find your way back to Willamette. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about all the great things you do here in Salem for us. Okay. Cross the Streams Podcast, calling men in. We'll be right back. Cross the Streams Podcast is available now via SoundCloud or the Apple Podcast app. And be sure to follow us across our social media platforms on Instagram at CTS Podcast, on Twitter and Facebook at Cross the underscore stream okay we're back no you're fine we're back so let's talk about i wanted to brag about you a little bit because i know all i know the bearcat awards are not a grammy or an emmy by any means but you did just win the sue rao distinguished service to athletics award which i thought was well deserved so congratulations uh to you for that honor from willamette athletics for all the things you do for all the programs not just our you know bearcat hoop but talk about the day-to-day now i really appreciate you going into detail with you know the the route you took uh to getting here to willamette and all the stops and all the different things uh you mentioned in your career arc and like i mentioned before there's so many similarities uh, to, to what we do in the coaching side, Kane and I, all the places he's been or the, the different titles or focuses I had to do before I felt like I was ready to be a head coach. But what's the day-to-day for you? I know when I see you, you are probably most likely in between 42 meetings where everyone's asking you to fill in this hole or, or like you mentioned before, help them empower students to seek justice, to seek equality. Talk about your day-to-day, the support group. Just We'll let you flow and hopefully I find some questions in between, but I want to give you a chance to talk about all the things you do for the Bearcats. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, gosh, yeah, the day-to-day. I mean, I think that most of the days consist of... Um, I'm trying to think. Where do I even start? <laughs> uh, certainly the kind of one-on-one meetings providing direct service for students who've been impacted by violence. Gotcha. Um, that, is that more of the advocate know, part of it, or is that part that of the is, GRAC as well? Well, it's, it's all together. Okay. So I would say, um, honestly, my two titles are really for grant-funded purposes gotcha. only. That's okay. <laughs> in, in many cases at other universities, the confidential advocacy is just kind of one component of your job re- of a job responsibility as a director. Um, so that's, you know, something that we're doing. I would say even um, with that, you know, supervising my team. So we've got another part-time confidential advocate um, so making sure that we have time to kind of debrief together mm-hmm. and um, talk about any sort of Title IX, you know, case updates that are relevant. Uh, we also help to support the students who staff the Advocacy Center, which are our peer advocates, the sexual assault response advocates. Um, so making sure we're meeting with the leadership um, of that group, 
Um, we also have a student-led prevention group. So that's another kind of weekly meeting mm-hmm. um, that takes place. So working with them to think forward about, you know, maybe different awareness or action months that are coming up and what type of kind of, you know, on-the-ground programming do we want to do for that. Um, we also talk about, you know, how our advocacy we're doing informs prevention so if there are certain things we're noticing um you know surface quite a few times then we can um like think about what sort of workshop would that help um our students you understand this whatever topic better um so we do a lot of talking about that um i also um, help support our Rainbow Alliance group, um, which is kind of our um, community building and uh, visibility raising group for LGBTQ students. Um, we are also developing a kind of broader community education program. Um, so that, of course, entails the kind of prevention um, directed work that we're doing on campus around consent and bystander intervention and, you know, masculinity. Um, But it's also incorporating, um, you know, healthy relationships and our um, kind of newer LGBTQ plus education training program. Mm -hmm. So that's essentially like for folks who are familiar with safe zones, kind of a national, um, project that's used across campuses but we've you know in true Willamette fashion we have taken upon ourselves to create our own version of that (laughs) yeah but I mean that was a really amazing experience over this last year because I worked with a group of students who are really invested in making sure it spoke to the needs of our community and reflected um, maybe some of the gaps in knowledge um from our students so you know it's it's kind of a foundational level around terminology like what does lgbtq Mm -hmm. plus even mean um to you know allyship and understanding kind of the impact um and oppression that you know certain marginalized folks experience because of all those identities do you Um, find in your work is it it's not hard it's probably the wrong word but are you juggling between you creating, keeping up to date with current stuff and like here students do this versus guys, I really want to activate your brains. How do I support you? Is there one or the other more happening? Because I know as a coach, it's the same. Do I call this play? Do I let them or do I did I hopefully practice well enough where they just go score and I look really smart even though I did nothing? (laughs) You know what I mean? Is that similar in what you're dealing with? Because it sounds like you have so many interactions with students who are also passionate about this. Yeah, and I would say that's definitely part of the day um, regularly where I just get the knock on my door and people wanting to come in to say, I have these great ideas and, you know, wanting to, you know, share that enthusiasm and, you know, support them in executing what those ideas are. But also, you know, a lot of my work I feel is is really about... um, you know, back to that educator role of yeah. trying to help them understand how it fits in a broader framework of, you know, societal issues that we're working, you know, either against or for or whatnot. Um, so there's still a lot of that kind of feminist educator piece happening and, gotcha. and wanting to just make sure that the work that is coming out of the center is, you know, aligned with um, kind of the, the politics or the movement you know far beyond our campus Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so you know definitely you know doing that you know self-learning um 
you know, is a, another component. I, you spoke about taking walks. I've been doing like <laughs> daily walks yep. and I, I feel like I created a little life hack. Um, if you download audible books okay. that are work related, then you get you both done. Yeah, then you're clocking hours it. as you're walking. I love it. I just, I had the right? Calm app during the pandemic. I've discovered the Calm app and they yeah. have, whether it's rain or it's, I listened to a, a whole five-part masterclass on happiness, right? Oh, yes. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that was my next question for you. As a coach, I know where to go for professional development. You know, it's an easy stream for me in terms of clinics, books, games, professionals, where is it similar for you to stay on top, like you mentioned, of current events, current policy, the shifts? In it, where are you going for that? Yeah, um, I think, you know, like many professions, right, we kind of find um, the groups who or the organizations who are regularly uh, putting out that training material or, you know, the webinar on the latest book or whatnot. Gotcha. Um, so for me, I rely a lot on just the Campus Association for Advocate and Prevention Professionals. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm getting the acronym wrong. It's CAPA. Um, so that's one. Uh, there's always a lot of, you know, amazing resource sharing, um, you know, for the um, kind of state um, specific rules and um, changes relying on the Oregon Attorney General Sexual Assault Task Force, where Carly works, is really helpful. Um, we also have the Oregon Coalition Against Sexual and Domestic Violence, so um, understanding maybe some of the impact in the community agency realm through mm-hmm. them is really great. Um, but we've got kind of our national organizations that we lean on um, for um, kind of that technical assistance or professional development, particularly now with, you know, all the COVID-19 changes right. and modifications. I mean, I, I feel like the first couple of weeks I was on like a daily webinar yeah. about how do we protect privacy, you know, for survivors? How do we maintain privilege? Yes. How do we get documents signed? Um, how do we even do online advocacy? What is that? Right. That's <laughs> that was, I'm glad you spoke. That's a great thing. I was going to ask you, what has changed? What has been the biggest hurdle in your work now that the kids aren't on campus? And I know all Carly and Jeff had mentioned one of the major concerns in this realm is, um, you know, just the physical confinement for victim survivors. You can't get away. Um, what is what is that? What's a similar? Is it same similar concerns for you? Other things that have cropped up like, well, thanks, COVID. On top of, the, you know, just the virus itself, these things that maybe not as many people are paying attention to. Everybody sees the money, the economy. But once again, trying to find light for the work that you do that we all believe in, uh, what you, how is it impacted? Yeah, I think um, for our campus community specifically, um, as you know, it's a very residential community. So with so many of our students moving off campus, we were challenged by the, um, I guess, lack of opportunity we had to just create that physical space where people could drop Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. and um you know with folks moving off campus right i mean being in different states we i think just struggled with how how do we now connect with people um you know we've we tried to really promote some things through our social media pages over the month of april to just let people know like we're here um you know please reach out um but i we did see um a pretty big dip um, in our contacts mm. um, and I think that had to do with just people trying to navigate those basic needs and yeah. like the 
immediate, you know, urgent sense. Um, and then kind of the timing of the semester wrapping up and um, folks moving off campus in such a large amount that um, I think, yeah, we just felt a, a large disconnect um, gotcha. with our students. So the challenge rate, I mean, you know, we also had to consider what, what are the logistical changes we can put into place because my role um, as an advocate, you know, I, being at home with four kids running right. around, like that presented a uh -huh. whole host of barriers. Yes. Um, so, you know, we, I was able to dedicate like certain windows of time where I could schedule um, online meetings with um, students who are in need. And then I also relied heavily on our part-time advocate to just take on more of the advocacy than um, she had done in the past. I mean, still within her weekly hours, right. but um, yeah, just because I, I really didn't have the space course, or the capacity yeah. to do that work when I was working from home or as I'm working from home. And is it a different, I don't want to say, do you feel, I know as a coach, you're like, well, this Zoom is great. I'm glad the Zoom is here. It's better than nothing. I don't think it's the same effectiveness in my one-on-one -on -one with my point guard. Is that the same for you from the one-on-one -on -one in your office or is it like, was it okay? I think, you know, I think for folks who do this advocacy work, I mean, I, I feel like we are so in tune to emotions that I haven't noticed a huge shift with the ability to kind of assess how someone's feeling, but certainly, like, there's, I mean, there's, like, you know, articles now coming out about the neurology of Zoom and <laughs> what's happening right. in our brain to yeah. not be able to see, like, facial expressions explicitly. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's different. Um, but I think that for the experiences I've had just as an advocate, right, like, I'm not necessarily speaking for the other party, um, it's, it's still felt meaningful. It mm -hmm. still felt... Um, as though we're able to tap into, you know, a, a place of healing. Um, but I think for the most part, a lot of the work has been about offering those remedies. So okay. people can be, um, you know, in a situation that's just alleviating some of the additional burden. Right. Um, so communicating with professors, um, you know, a lot of students really feeling that um, kind of, in more intensified loss of control mm -hmm. um, with a global pandemic occurring, right? Yep. <laughs> well, as a fellow control freak, that. I felt the same way. I control yeah. nothing, and that bothers me. <laughs> really, yes, yes, me too. Um, yeah, just not so much uncertainty, right, yes. is a very anxiety, stress-inducing feeling. Um, so a lot of the conversation just being around, um, you know, well, what can we control right now? And, um, you know, can you tell me what would make you feel better in this instance? Or, you know, maybe take time out of your day to just freak out as much as yeah. you want. Yep. And then, you know, what can we do to recenter you? For you uh, so in a this, lot of those conversations. For you in this work, you know, across your career, uh, I really appreciate you being so authentic with some of the, you know, I, I take walks. I, I kind of got burnt out. For you guys, I know for me, the scoreboard dictates, you know, the scoreboard tells me sometimes, did I do a good job today? Did we yeah. accomplish our goals? And there's no scoreboard for you guys in such a more important field than a basketball game. So how do you kind of practice that self-care? And how do you how do you judge yourself on your success or, or not success? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And 
a lot of times I think we have to be satisfied with the unknown, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, does tie into pandemic anxiety and whatnot, uh, or just not knowing what the future holds. But certainly, you know, sharing in the celebrations of folks we're working with, whether, you know, they're survivors or just a group of students that had a really exciting project idea and, Mm -hmm. you know, people, people showed up, you know, to their events and you helped kind of cultivate that over time with them. Um, you know, there are experiences where um, we have the opportunity to witness amazing personal growth with someone and, um, you know, I, uh, kind of processing of a situation that was so hard and difficult, but yeah. seeing kind of the self-determination come out through the end, I mean, that that's so rewarding. And right. It's hard to put any sort of, you know measurement or um it's certainly a mark of success but it's it's not just our success mm-hmm, right so mm-hmm. being able to share that with someone is really That's exciting amazing. that is do you uh, take this in it i know of course you, there's no way not to how do you balance or try to manage taking this stuff home um in one end just for yourself and your own sanity and on another end, I struggle with it as a coach. Like we've been in a pandemic, and I'm like, well, "Are my kids going to shoot a basket during this time? Are they?" I'm a basketball yeah. coach. Shouldn't I be producing basketball players? But then at the other time, you're like, "No." But you know, for you, so for you, with these life lessons you're helping college students learn, are your kids going to be experts in this field? You know, does that make sense? Like, how how do you balance these things? Yeah, well, I think one of the fortunate things about being a young mom is now I have a 17-year-old, so I'm able to really see the fruits of my labor, so to speak. Um, So seeds that were planted at a very young age around, you know, gender roles and, um, you know, kind of feminist politics, I'm seeing that emerge in my 17-year-old daughter, and that, I mean, you know, there were some ups and downs for sure right. with that type of parenting approach, but, um, you know, it's, it's great to see right now. Um, I think, gosh, the self-care piece, I struggle with that one, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I'm not the best with self-care, which is probably why I burn out. You know, <laughs> it's all right. Like You're not about. alone. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, gosh, I, I think what I'd really love to do, um, or what I'm trying to do and engage with others about is just shifting that conversation to be less about kind of a personal responsibility and more about that institutional responsibility of self-care and Mm -hmm. how that's actually structured into our position as advocates or folks doing this um, kind of transgressive, you know, um, anti-hegemonic culture shifting Mm -hmm. work. Uh, We need to have, I think, community as self-care Um, I think oftentimes, you know, we go to that trope of taking bubble baths and drinking tea. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, for many people, it's being together and rallying around a topic um, that really fills you up in, in, you know, a spirited way. Right. Has it, my last question, and I, oh, I've got two more, and then I want to make sure I I fit the window I I promised you so the family doesn't lose its mind without you. One, (laughs) is it, taxing or is it tiresome to have the level of hyper awareness you do the give a damn we talked about i find myself i'm not even close to your level of impacting you know and being immersed in the work the news can be exhausting it's like oh there's a problem there's a problem there's a problem you know and that's not even having your level or carly or jeff's level of expertise i find myself tired like i gotta turn it off 
is that a, I mean I'm also happy about it I'm glad I'm aware I'm glad I have a give a shit you know what I mean so mm-hmm. how, how does that affect you yeah I mean gosh I think what you're speaking to right in terms of like my work and being close to just the the stories of trauma yes. and kind of carrying that burden um yeah absolutely I mean that wears on me for sure um I think that the way I viewed my work um, over the years has been in, I mean, I'm not, I'm really not like a super optimistic person. This sounds terrible, but I, I am a really cynical, very sarcastic, holds a lot of grudges type of person. That's why so, we get along, I think. That's why we get along. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, but I do think I, I am, you know, skilled at kind of, sustaining hope and remaining idealistic and thinking back to why I've chosen to step into this work and I I'm I'm trained for this right Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. yeah there was a point in time where I you know made that decision to regularly opt in um but I see this as you know, calling sounds very cheesy, but, no, um, yeah, I'm facts. a professional, I'm a professional feminist uh-huh. and I like that I can get paid for this labor and, yeah. um, contribute to, uh, progress and, um, empowering others. And I think that for me, um, just, you know, being reminded of that work and creating the relationships that I've created along the way is what drives me to keep moving forward and to know that we are working towards something meaningful and we do see, you know, maybe small, but, you know, very promising changes. So we're, we're doing it. We're getting there. And I that, love that. that does. Yeah. That's always a makes perfect me feel answer. Good. I love that. That, that. I got goosebumps over here. I'm excited for you. Uh, that's that's awesome, but I I, I want to wrap it up there because I think that's the perfect way to end it. But I do want to make sure we bring you back. Uh, you were uh, gracious enough to let, give me some information and help me plug in a little bit to some of the new Title IX stuff. And I want to bring yeah. you, Carly and Jeff, on so we can rant and rave together. Some of that community support you talked about and, and kind of inform people because I think people see a headline, especially when it's all about virus and vaccine, and you see a Title IX policy come across you skip it you know you move forward and you're not even capable of understanding the impact so i want to bring you back on and we'll we'll get you back on but thank you very much all right well yeah there's certainly so many folks who are not skipping over that headline right now yes (laughs) we are in the thick of it trying to do all the interpretations and figure out what's next so i'd be happy to come on and talk about it content reminder The opinions expressed on today's episode are those of the hosts and guests alone and should not be viewed as reflective of the opinions of the institutions or employers of the hosts and guests.